May the peace of Christ be with you. This is Molly Vetter, Senior Pastor of the Westwood United Methodist Church in Los Angeles. Welcome to our Sanctuary Gathering podcast. Here we share the sermon preached on Sunday as a part of our Sanctuary Gathering. We hope that in these words you will be drawn closer to God and made more ready to love your neighbor. As a congregation, we embrace the words of the Hebrew prophet that are etched into the stairs that lead to our building, the calling to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. We also believe that we're a richer congregation for the diversity of people who participate in our community, and we celebrate the diversity of age, race, gender identity, and sexual orientation that participate in our church. You are welcome in this place, and we hope you will participate. We invite you to do your own theology, to wrestle with questions of faith as we seek out what it means to be faithful Christians today. You're welcome to join us not only by listening in to this podcast, but we also invite you to join in our congregational life. Every Sunday, you're welcome to join us for worship at 9.30 a.m. You can join us in our beautiful sanctuary in Los Angeles at the corner of Warner and Wilshire or online via our church Facebook page. All are welcome in our midst, and we thank you for being a part of our church. May these moments be a blessing to you today. The psalm today is verse, uh, chapter 25, verses 1 through 10. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Let none that wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are clothed with treachery. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me, for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore the Lord instructs sinners in the way, and leads the humble in what is right, and teaches them their way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness, for those who keep the Lord's covenant and testimony. This is the word of God for the people of God. All through this season of Lent, we'll be following the story of Peter, one of those disciples, like Diana was talking about with the children. Peter's journey is one that I find so relatable because he both shows phenomenal gift, virtue, faithfulness, and experiences struggle, faithlessness, even denial. As we follow his journey, I hope you find space to let your own story sit in conversation with Peter's story as we seek always to draw closer to God. 
I invite you to listen to these words now from the fifth chapter of Luke, starting in the first verse. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they'd done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? O holy God, may my words and our thoughts and our lives reflect the fullness and beauty of your grace. We pray in your holy name. Amen. The story of Simon, Peter, and this miraculous catch of fish and this call from God has me thinking and reflecting on my own sense of calling to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I don't mean just or even especially my call to be an ordained minister in the United Methodist Church. I mean, broadly speaking, my sense of calling to be a disciple who follows Jesus. I invite you as I'm speaking this, I'm I'm gonna give you permission to daydream, uh, especially encouragement if it's in thinking back, reflecting on your own life of moments that have been for you a sense of God speaking into your life. God speaking or showing up into your life to help draw you, pull you, lure you into a way of being that matters for you, for the world, for others. I don't know if there are moments in your life that you could pinpoint as occasions when you felt a conviction that what you were doing, that who you are, that your place in the world has some kind of significance, that it matters, that it's, that it's saying something important. I was thinking back of the, on the multitude of moments where I have felt like I was in the right place doing a thing that embodied, proclaimed, spoke the presence of divine love into the world. One of the most vivid moments that came to me this week was something that happened in my first year of ministry as a full-time pastor. I was appointed and sent to the San Diego First United Methodist Church, and while I was there, I got volunteered 
to continue in a role that I'd taken up truly of my own volition um, in my, the year before uh, in connection with a retreat for adults living with HIV AIDS called Strength for the Journey. Uh, I'd been involved in the camp in Orange County. It's a week-long retreat for adults living with HIV uh, that the United Methodist Church helped organize, but was not in a very com- like controlling way a United Methodist venture, because the camp welcomed to it people from a variety of faith traditions and many people who had been excluded from or hurt from faith traditions that rejected them either because of fear, because of their HIV status, or because that they were a, a gay man. Um, the stories were each... Each person's story was different in particular, but it was a community of folk in search of connection, and it was a gift to be a part of it. But I was a little intimidated because I was sent to this camp in San Diego to be the pastoral leader when I was in my first year of ministry. I felt ill-prepared to be sent to take on this role of being the sort of pastoral liaison for a camp of adults, all of whom were older than me. I was 24 and knew just enough to know that I was in over my head. So it was the occasion for lots of deep prayer, which is my usual approach when I know that I'm in over my head. We went to camp on September 9th, 2001, which meant that we were together at Camp Cedar Glen outside of Julian, California, when news came to us through an emergency radio to the cabin director's home that there had been an airplane that flew into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. And so the camp director came to my colleague James and I, who were the pastors working with this camp retreat of approximately 100 people, uh, to ask us what we were going to do. At that time, no one's cell phone worked at camp, so no one got news except through that emergency radio in the camp director's office. We were only two miles outside of town, the town of Julian, which is not a bustling cosmopolitan urban area, but had TVs. Uh, That morning, that moment, as it became my responsibility to share this horrific news, which at that point was very partial. We didn't know what was happening and didn't have direct link to immediate updates I only knew that something horrible had happened, something so significant we couldn't ignore it or withhold it from people, and that it was my responsibility to share it. This is not a... The responsibility of sharing that news was not something I ever would have listed on my resume of skills that I have to offer or volunteered as a duty, but I was in a place and time where it fell to me and became my job, to share news and to hold space for a community that included a wide diversity of people, citizens of Mexico who'd crossed the border to get better HIV care in the United States, and a number of active-duty Navy servicemen who were participating on leave uh, from their service as a spiritual retreat. Their HIV status was hidden in order to protect their ability to continue to serve. All of us together in this difficult place and a lot of people in between. 
moving through that week was not ever simple because my heart broke like everyone else's. My love of my country, my fear of continued violence, my desire and deep prayer for peace, all of this was bound up together in my commitment that part of my responsibility was to hold open a generous space. There was a conflict within the community about whether or not to continue to share updates of what was happening in the world with camp. There were people who wanted to protect this retreat as a sacred and safe space for the people who participated, who for most of their life had to be very careful about who knew about their HIV status, who lived sort of pushed to the edges of communities and their families and institutions. At camp, they could participate as regular people where they didn't have to wonder about when should I disclose my status, how will it change my belonging in this community, can I be safe? They wanted camp to do the things that only camp can do and didn't want an act of terror to further take away that gift. And then there were people who were clear that what was happening in the world was something that would affect us all and we couldn't isolate ourselves from it. We need to participate in what's going on and they wanted update. In a moment of crisis, particularly in a world of a 24-hour news cycle, I find myself Uh, drawn in so easily by the need to keep updated on exactly what's happening in every moment, as if clarity is going to be available if I just make sure not to miss the update after the next commercial break. It becomes a maddening cycle of attention that requires all of us, all of our, our focus, and pushes out other things. Somewhere in the middle of these two perspectives is where we mostly landed, um, a desire to be attentive, both to the gifts of this moment and the particularities of this time and to our belonging in a broader world, our need to be present in our nation, in our world, in ways that give care and attention to a broader world, that mourn the loss of lives that help set us on a path of who we're going to be. This sort of giving of attention, I think, is at the heart of what it has meant in my own life to be a person responsive to God's calling. It's a paying attention to the opportunities and challenges and gifts of this moment in all its challenge, in all its particularity, in all of its unusualness, How can I be attentive to what's happening to declare that my presence can be a gift of comfort or hope or encouragement or challenge that's needed or solidarity in a time of struggle? And also pointing out that other lives, that each person's life, especially a life that has been pushed to the edges, that has been marginalized in our broader world, that that life also matters. This gift of giving attention, of being attentive, is at the heart of my own sense of calling. I've been grateful this last week to be reading Cole Arthur Riley's new book, Black Liturgies, Prayers, Poems, and Meditations for Staying Human. I first encountered Cole Arthur Riley through her Instagram feed, which is called uh, Black Liturgies, where she posts prayers and Uh, invitations to consideration. She is a gifted spiritual leader in our midst. And 
even though February is Black History Month, she is a current and future, I hope she'll have a long life, she's a young scholar, young leader, a current uh, black voice who is changing our world for the better through her insightfulness and writing. She has a chapter in this book called Calling, and she points out the way that in our culture we tend to link calling to how we make our living, earn our money, even all of these phrases, right? We talk about your job as a vocation. And a vocational school, for example, is one that teaches trades. But vocation in its word cells means calling. We say make a living, even though living is here a euphemism for earn a paycheck, right? So often our jobs become the complete definition of what vocation means, what calling means. And she pushes back on that and invites us to think more broadly and also to separate out the things we do to earn money or esteem or respect, to separate those out and differentiate what they do for us from what calling does for us. She writes these really helpful words as she describes her own desire to have a clear sense of calling. She says, I wanted the stability of a single purpose until death. I've never cared for life in its fogginess. But calling demands we honor its fluidity. Not all calls are eternal. They ebb and flow with us, with our needs, our community, and our loves. If there's anything static in it, it's that we're called to whatever makes us more human. I'm going to say that again. We're called to whatever makes us more human, not to what makes us matter. Calling has no competency in this area. This is bold. This challenges my way of thinking. Calling has no competency in this area. Its purpose is not to prove our worth. Calling's purpose is not to prove our worth but to show us how we might practice it. Calling is an invitation to show how we practice our worth. This is a huge revelation to me. The clarity with which she describes that calling doesn't earn worth or prove worth. Calling instead practices our worth. It assumes that we already matter, and so do our neighbors and strangers and even our enemies. When I was in seminary, my, friend Colleen, my friends Colleen and Krista and I were in the dean's office complaining about something or other, and, uh, which is not, it was not the only time this happened. Uh, at some point, the dean accused us of being troublemakers. My friend Colleen, who's very quick, said, oh, no, 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 we are not troublemakers. We are trouble identifiers. We did not make any of this up. We are just pointing it out, Uh, which I've held with me as a gift. And it may be that Colleen's wisdom is what helped me see that part of my calling is to help point out things that are already true. The depth of God's love for you, the presence of the divine image in every person here on earth, our invitation to share and receive a love that is eternal. 
not making things up, but I'm hoping to live in a way that points them out. Way back in 1998, I had the privilege of being at a gathering where Kosuke Koyama was preaching. Uh, Koyama was a Japanese theologian and preacher whose early life included mission work in Singapore and Thailand. His first theological book that uh, got widespread use across the theological seminaries here in the U.S. and elsewhere was called Water Buffalo Theology. Y'all read this? It's really good. Uh, It came out in the mid-1970s, Water Buffalo Theology, was Koyama's articulation of Christian theology, but in the vocabulary and metaphor of the communities where he'd been a missionary in Thailand and Singapore, in conversation with ideas that he'd inherited from the Buddhism that was a part of his Japanese culture and the cultures where he was serving as missionary. And in a fresh and challenging way, invited us to understand the depths of this faith that we share in a, a really wild and vital sort of way, not in stilted language of academics or classic theologians, but in metaphors and language that speaks to people. And in using these earthy metaphors, uh, like the water buffalo, he invites us to re-examine some of the assumptions we have. When he was preaching at this gathering, he talked about the story of the Good Samaritan, no, I'm sorry, the story of the prodigal son. You remember at the end of this story, it describes a father who runs out to meet the prodigal son who's returned. He said, how wild is this? A God who runs to meet us, a God who lifts up his robes and runs out to meet us. On this Sunday, as we think and honor about the Jesus who seeks after us. I picture that running father in the story of the prodigal son, a God who is active and engaged and moving toward us, not in the elegant and refined and reflective movements of a dance, but in the unbridled love of a parent whose child has returned. As I think about Jesus seeking after us, inviting us to respond to the calling of God, I think about Koyama's words. Koyama was born in 1929, and at the age of 15, in 1945, was baptized as a Christian in Tokyo as his city was being bombed by the U.S. And the priest who baptized him said, that as one baptized into the Christian faith, his job is now to love everyone, even Americans. And I think what a gift and radical and challenging thing it is to see our theology from inside the eyes of another, another child of God born in a very different time and place than I was but connected to the same gospel that pushes us to be people of love and compassion and grace and forgiveness and hope, not because it's easy, but because it's what matters. And we who matter, our neighbors and strangers and enemies who matter, we are called to use our lives to point out that blessing and gift. 
Some of these things take constant reminder because there are people that I would prefer to forget, (laughs) prefer to not see them, prefer to believe that they don't matter to God, but our gospel keeps pushing us back, running out to meet us, seeking after us, and insisting on our belovedness and our belonging and our call to love. This Lenten season, may that call pursue you. Or may God's call come in a particular and beautiful and distinct way that invites you to be a part of this ongoing work of practicing what matters. May it be so. Amen.